Hey, you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue, and you are listening to Inside the War Room. Welcome to another edition of Inside the War Room. Ryan Ray here, as always, as always, as always, as always. Today, it's kind of a, a follow-up, if you will, to the Carol Baskin interview, because oddly enough, Ben Samuels was the guest scheduled after her, but he picked it before her. So I sent out a link. People picked the times. And it's just kind of the luck of the draw, if you will, more or less is how it works. And Ben had picked the day after Carol um, and then I mean, picked that day. And then Carol picked her day before. So it just kind of worked out the way. Anyways, so Ben Samuels is our guest today. We'll link to all of Ben's stuff in the show notes. A um, couple of things that have happened since the Carol Baskin interview, which it feels like it was an eternity ago. It was only, what, four or five days. Um, so <laughs> I can say, first of all, thank you to everyone who's reached out. Um, second off, if you listen to this podcast, go check our YouTube channel because we have a YouTube channel. We're really trying to grow it. We've never really pushed it, so we're pushing that hard now. Please, please, please go subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, consider subscribing or giving a thumbs up. We're trying to grow our YouTube channel for a lot of reasons, um, but we need your help with that. If you're watching, this is a podcast, so go type in Inside the War Room wherever you're watching uh, watching YouTube and go down on the podcast. Okay. The other thing is, I've got a lot of feedback on this interview about Carol Baskin. Most of it's been great, uh, fantastic, good stuff. Change your perspective, so thank you for that. But some people have criticized, which is fine. I'm fine with that, saying that you know maybe um, Carol was misrepresenting her position or, or whatever. The purpose of this show is to bring on guests to have conversations, right? It's not my job to parse through everything they say. I'll push back here and there uh, if I find something that I'm not sure about. Um, but by and large, I want to hear what they have to say. That's why I'm bringing them on. They're my guest to listen to. So, you know, if you think that Carol did this, that, or another, so be it. Leave in the comments below. I'd love to hear your thoughts. We are trying to have more conversation here, not less. So this show what you're seeing or listening to is phase one in that conversation, right? And so phase two is with you, the listener. And as this show grows, we'll have more ways to connect with the listener um, directly. So please subscribe, share, and all that. We'd, we'd love it. Okay. Now to our recommendations. I bumped the mic there. That might have been loud. First, Howlerhead Whiskey. Thank you guys for producing this product. Not a sponsor. If you want a sponsor, let me know. Howlerhead Whiskey. I've been seeing their advertisements everywhere. Um, they got some pretty cool shirts, but I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. It's Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey with a natural banana flavor. I tried some yesterday and it was pretty good, pretty, pretty good. So Howlerhead whiskey is my recommendation for this podcast. And our sponsor is Acorns. Okay. So I've had Acorns for over a year now, a year and a half time plus, And I use it for this to round up the extra cents on my transactions for my debit cards, right? So if I spend, you know, $6.25, then that 75 cents gets rounded up and invested. Now, before you say, well, Ryan, you'd be better investing that. Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'd be better to invest that 75 cents somewhere else. The problem is I won't. I won't invest the 75 cents somewhere else. And if I'm going to dollar cost average or invest something like that, then the roundups aren't enough to actually impact me, right? So it's not as if, by investing this 75 cents with acorns, I'm losing my ability to invest somewhere else. In a perfect world, I do it 100% effective 
It's not, I don't live in a perfect world. So um, acorns. So right now, it's only for a limited time. If you sign up, you get $5 for free. And if you get five of your friends to sign up, you can get $1,000 from acorns dropped into your investment account. So use the link below, sign up, consider sharing it with your friends. Um, once you make your deposit and get everything set up, then you can be eligible for your $1,000 as well in your investment account. You better hurry. It's a limited time offer. So check out Acorns. With that being said, Ben Samuels is a good buddy of mine, and it's good to keep him on the podcast. Without further ado, here he is. Benson, good to have you on the show, buddy. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. This is a different seat. I get to be uh, I get to be the guest. You said off air in the uh, in the little preliminary that you had to be nice to me today. I'm, I'm going to test that out. We're going to see. How are you doing? Was that being was that recorded, or did you have like a witness to that, or? This isn't don't let the facts. Let's not. Let's 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 not. Good man. Good. So it it, it was funny because a little behind the scenes here, we schedule our guests except for rare occasions. We send them a link and they pick their own time. So you picked this time back a month ago, I think. And then the Carol Baskin podcast, we we recorded it yesterday. This will come out mm-hmm. a few days after. So we recorded it yesterday afternoon, and this is the following morning. So. Um, it's, it's kind of funny how all that worked out. You were saying before you, you're still on a high bed. It was it was crazy. Like it wasn't crazy as in Joe Exotic, the world melts down crazy. It was just crazy to be doing that. It felt like. Yeah, you know, it was very kind of otherworldly. Yeah, to just be in that conversation and have her on as a guest, um, like we talked about a little bit in the uh, in the uh, post show. You know, she she was a great guest. Thought she was super informative, and, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, you know, I I was. I mean, Ryan was like, what percentage chance was there after yesterday that you were just going to drop the mic, sign off, and like we weren't even going to record today? I mean, that had to be somewhere on the docket. If it would have been anyone else but you, I would have canceled. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. So I do have a question um, about the Carol thing. So I kind of knew what to expect from her a little bit. And she was a hundred times better than I know even I expected, but I knew she was going to be a good guest. I've heard her before uh, outside Tiger King. Um, for you, I don't know if you've heard her or not. What, like how much did it concern you watching quote documentaries now <laughs> that maybe what you're being led to believe isn't what you're seeing. So our interview to be clear is unedited. Um, we may have talked to her two minutes before the show went live yesterday in the, in the kind of green room, just saying, Hey, good to have you. Any questions? Um, this is what we would talk about, which is generally the Tiger stuff and Tiger King. And then we gripped it and ripped it. There was no script, uh, nothing. She never asked for anything. Um, so what you saw yesterday was raw, uh, at least mm-hmm. from our perspective. She's obviously talked about this stuff, quite frankly. But how much does it concern you that maybe uh, – now, you know, you knew Tiger King was kind of – we all kind of know it's something's wrong there with what's going on. But I expect Joe Exotic, that's who he is. you know. And so you kind of expect all the other characters to kind of be like that. And then you meet Carol, you're like, whoa, this is not – this is not the same person they made her out to be on the on the documentary. Does it worry you now, kind of watching documentaries that maybe you're being misled? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. I don't know if yesterday was sort of the seminal moment, but uh, but yeah, you know, I think over the years, for, for years now, the, you know, the documentary space has been full of. The, I mean, the people making the documentaries have a very very clear political or you know um, or um, you know 
knowledge based leaning in, in the industry. And like they're they're clearly trying to put out a message rather than present facts on both sides and let the the audience sort of make their own determination and, and, and take uh, you know, take liberty to make those decisions for themselves about what they think and how they think uh, you know the the issue should be addressed. You know, you talk about like seaspiracy. Uh, you know, uh, black blackfish. Uh, you know, all the other like documentaries. Those are all very, very one-sided. Tiger King. You know, I think is in a different category from from the sense that it never really even purported to be a documentary, right? I mean, it was it was sort of supposed to be a sensationalized account of the this this character, this larger than life character, Joe Exotic. And so under that, you know, through that prism, it wasn't as though I don't I don't necessarily think that the show even would purport to have been sort of a information and fact based series. I think it was more about the sensationalism. And it's unfortunate because I think one of the things that Carol was talking about yesterday is that she was sold sort of the project as very much the opposite, was sold very much like a documentary you know, um, this is going to be good for the, the cats. This is going to be good for the industry type of publication or type of series. And the production ended up being widely, you know, vastly different. Yeah, it, you might be right. It might not be. Um, I'm trying to see what Netflix actually has it listed under. And I can't, but I see limited series right now. Um, it might not be considered pure documentary, but it also doesn't have the reality reality tv feel right it has the documentary feel um and so that kind of makes it there it and a lot of the stuff that they do show is you know on some level true um yeah i think you talk about the documentary space she touched on the sum it's it's probably hard to sell things because traditional media is sensationalized is sensationalized like that's what they do that's what they sell um but you look mm. at the most popular podcast in the world joe rogan that's not what he sells. So there is a forum for just average conversations that can be loud or low or energetic or laughing or serious or somber. The, the, but the traditional media doesn't know how to market that space yet. I think that's the struggle. So in a theoretical world, YouTube could have taken whatever uh, the, the Carol thought it was going to be and probably promoted that in a way that would have got the traction and they could have got the ad revenue and probably made their money back, you know, whatever. But because they had to go to Netflix or CNN or whomever, you have to pitch it a certain way because those guys, I don't think they actually know how to just present this normal conversation. Right. You know, these the news and documentary space, you know, these days sort of or, or the blend between the two is very uh, sensationalized, sensational focused in, in what's sort of going to get eyeballs and is not necessarily nuance focused or, again, fact based. And, you know, I think it's a fascinating dichotomy in a way where, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast, to your point, is wildly successful, wildly popular, but the episodes are two, three hours long in order to really, you know, that's an investment that most people are not going to make. I mean, most people in, ingest their uh, their news, you know, in TikTok length formats, right? 30 second to two minute, you know, clips, um, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, live stream, things of that nature. Uh, again, very short clips. And so I think it's, I think well, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, part of the I think part of the frustration is that the media is is not I mean arguably not focused on even presenting the facts like they're they are a money machine and the way they make money is eyeballs and the way you get eyeballs is to create controversy right it's not even necessarily to 
to be a, a bastion of truth or journalism or what have you. And that's what's so frustrating because there's so many ways now to monetize content if you have the ability to distribute it. So I just had on the um, the Sandusky guy, John Ziegler, and we, we talked mm-hmm. about this offline. So he's got 50-plus hours of podcasts going through the Sandusky stuff. Um, and I think he makes a clear case for a retrial for Sandusky. You'll listen to the podcast to hear about that. I'm not sure if Sandusky's innocent or not, and that's because – for the 50-plus hours, it's his side of the story, right? He's presenting mm-hmm. facts and evidence. There's no real back and forth. What would be fascinating is to hear 50 hours of him on the pro-Sandusky side and someone on the um, anti-Sandusky side going through the evidence, talking to experts, bringing on people, you know, lawyers breaking this down. There, and, you know, If you go look at the amount of reviews for his podcast, I mean, downloads it's got, it seems to have done pretty well based upon the reviews, um, the total reviews. Speaking of which, go download this podcast, give it a five-star review, or a thumbs up on YouTube. Shameless plug there. But if you go look at it, I think there's a lot more capacity for that today because it's not 1992 where you turn on at 5 and you got to watch the news in or you miss it until 6 and then 10. You can consume it at your own pace, which means we can put out more long-form content or at least record content long-form and then release it in parts. You know, you could do... Mm-hmm. That uh, you have all kinds of options, all kinds of options, and so I don't understand um, why traditional media can't do that better. You would think, you would think they would they would learn, but they don't learn. It, it makes me wonder if they have ulterior motives, um, if they just if they don't understand how this space works. Um, and listen, I'm not I'm not Joe Rogan, so I'm not like I've got it figured out, but. You can look at Joe Rogan. He crushes all the mainstream media. He crushes them. But think about think about the amount of time it would take to create a fifty hour. Per, you know, you're, you're talking for fifty hours on a podcast. Take think how long it would take. Think how long it would take to create that in terms of doing the research, doing all the you know the prep work, putting it together, etc. And I mean, in this day and age, you know, most people. Ryan, I think most people these days get their news from Twitter. I mean, so you're getting live but, but tweets. Number one, but Rome no, but, one. but 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 that but it's it's a different consumption model because okay. because mainstream media isn't competing with Joe Rogan, right? Mainstream media is competing with Twitter. They're competing with the guy sitting at his desk live tweeting the whatever. The, the, uh, you know, news media is not competing with Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is in a completely uh, you know. He is, hey, if you want to listen to this one guest or this one topic for three hours, go over here. And there's tons of, of consumption over there. But th- but those are not – they're not the same eyeballs that, you know, Fox is trying to get or that, you know – or right? I, I agree, but let me ask you this. Okay, so if Rogan tomorrow – just tell me if you agree. I'm going to go through a bunch of different things. If Rogan tomorrow announced he was going to keep his main show, so that's going to stay the same. But he's also going to start doing one-hour – Twice a week shows on true crime. It would be why, and he's going to bring in, you know, experts to talk about true crime. It would be wildly successful, right? Yes. Okay. If he was going to do a one hour show three times a week on sports, football, basketball, MMA, it'd be wildly successful. Yes, but because of his cachet, his style, exactly. and, and his right. yeah, but right. but yes, right. yes, right. agreed, agreed. Okay, and so the further you go down that chain, someone like Rogan, because he has distribution, 
he has the ability to say, I'm doing this, therefore go watch it and people go watch it. Um, my point is Fox News, they have that same, that, that's, or MSNBC or CNN, they have that same ability to say, hey, here is this platform, go watch this. And they can run ads on their TV network. They can push their viewers to it. They can push their people to those platforms. Uh, there's got to be some overlap there. But ostensibly, and I don't know this, I, I'm not saying this is factual. To, uh, check me on this if you if you don't agree, Ryan. But you know, I would ve- I would venture to say, or for the sake of this conversation, that Joe Rogan doesn't have a dog in most of the fights on his podcast. Meaning that if he has a guest that's you know far right, far left, in mm-hmm. the middle, climate alarmist, cl- climate denier, like whatever, he doesn't care as the guest, right? right. He is looking to, for good content, looking for engaging conversation, looking for intelligent nuance, etc. That again, that's not a, the mainstream media is. They are looking for a very slim narrative. They're looking for someone that wants to say this one thing, and that's why you see the same talking heads. Sorry for the pun. The same talking heads. You know, on the, on the talking circuit, on these shows, on the mainstream media, because you know Fox News, when they have you know X Y, when they have Rudy Giuliani on the podcast, they know what they're going to get. When you have you know one of the you know when you have a commentator on the podcast or on sorry on the show, you know what you're going to get. There's not an X factor of you know what's this guy going to say. Yeah, and I think that's an important piece. I think no, I think now you're getting there is um is that. A, the type of sponsors they're trying to attract want a more controlled narrative. And I won't say right. the name of the publication. I'll tell you offline. I won't say it online. Uh, I reached out to someone to have them on top of their book. And uh, it's a major news publication. And they said, we can't because of our, um, our the, the paper, people we work for don't, don't let us do interviews on podcasts. And I know someone else who works mm-hmm. there and they've told me the same thing. Um, anyways. And so, so I, so I was like, you know, that's crazy. Because, but here's the thing. If you come on my podcast and we're talking about whatever topic, I can ask you whatever I want, right? There's no, no one's stopping me. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no man behind the curtain who's going to pull the club. You'd have to leave. It'd look awkward. Um, and so that's, I think, to your point, that's what they don't want. Most of their hosts are not very talented outside of they can talk very clearly, which I can't do. <laughs> you know, <they> can, <clears throat> here, if you watch them, they all look the same. Tonight at six, Ben Samuels comes to talk about the Red Sox. Back to you, well, Doug. And so, they're great at that. I don't you bring Brian Stelter on this podcast with me and you, we would embarrass him. We would oh, embarrass him. He wouldn't run, last more than 30 seconds. We'd run laps around him because there's no teleprompter. He doesn't have a production assistant telling him what to say. Well, that and his little his little smug, you know, all that bull he does, it wouldn't work because we'd be like, You're not gonna right. answer. Oh, you're not gonna answer. Don't have anything to say, and so I think they. I think to your point, you nailed it a minute ago, which is they want to be able to set the the Overton window of the opinions that they want, um, and then kind of force everything through there. So if it's CNN, you have one Republican who's kind of a moderate Republican, four Democrats. You bring on the Republican, the four Democrats pound on him or her, and then vice versa for, for Fox News, right? And so that's kind of the model. Whereas here, to your point, you know. Um, my wife helps me book podcast guests. And so we're going through looking for guests and stuff. And she says, what do you think about this person? I'm like, I don't really care. I mean, I have my own opinions. I have my beliefs on uh, politics, philosophy, religion, business, but I don't really care for the podcast. I want interesting content. I want people who are willing to have uh, conversations about things and they're not going to get all upset and cry. And I'm not, I don't read my guests. So come and talk. I don't How think do you- they're interested in that. 
so I'm curious, um, taking a, a slight tangent, how do you go about sort of, or at all, uh, you know, kind of prepping the podcast guests for, you know, hey, listen, I'm, you know, I, I want, I'd love that conversation, but I'm not looking for just canned answers here. I, I, I want, you know, are you are, like, do you ask something on the lines of like, are you willing to really, you know, engage here or, or are you just going to give me, you know, the, the standard talking points? Or do you do any of that or is it just, you know, I, I try not to say anything to the guests other than I want to talk about maybe you have a book. So uh, we had Carol Basket on. I just said, I want to have you on the podcast. And she said, great. Um, I have on a guest coming on Monday who's got a book coming out. So we're talking about his book on Monday, right? So I'm going, because he's coming off of the book, I'm going to stay within the bounds of the book. Now the book's about China. So I might ask some more overarching questions about China, but I'm not going to say, you know, what do you think about the 2020 election or January 6th? You know, like that's not the purpose of this, in this interview, right? And so some of the bounds are kind of established by the topic. Um, and then the other thing is, and I've heard this from people, this isn't a, I mean, give myself an attaboy. Um, it just might be my ignorance, but I've heard this from people who have been interviewed by kind of the top talking heads. And they say that the questions that I ask just aren't the ones that they're used to. And that's, so I think that kind of works as well, not asking these standardized questions. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. And, and, and I've got that feedback as well on some of the shows that, I, you know, that I've had, haven't had nearly the, the range of guests that you have, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's common feedback that, you know, it's just sort of fresh, you know, refreshing to not have had the exact same answers. Um, and, I, and I bet, you know, I'm sure, you know, going back to Carol, I bet you would have the same, uh, same reaction. I don't think that we asked a lot. It seemed, didn't see, actually, there are a couple of questions that we asked that she didn't have, you know, answers right off the bat for, you know, that she had to kind of think about, which, which you know. Yeah, and so like, so like yesterday, take Carol, um, you know, I never would have thought we'd have gotten into petting tigers and the pros and cons of that. Like that wasn't on the agenda, but then she starts talking about the cameras. It's like, okay, that's interesting. And then my question I think I asked her was something along the lines of, you know, well, okay, let's take the last 200 years of zoos and stuff. Part of that was because we are you know, we want to be dominant over the animals, okay. Also part of that is we're trying to observe them, we're trying to learn from them. But now with new technology, maybe that will diminish some. And I would have never thought about mm -hmm. that too much until she would have said all the things that she said. So it's hard to prepare for that question unless you've read them say something directly that makes you think about that, you know? And so I, I, I like to just try to respond to what they're saying or things I've read from them. And so if it's an author, obviously I have things in the book I'm gonna go from, um, but if it's like with Carol, you're just shooting the hip. I, I'm genuinely curious about what she's saying. I think that's the thing. You have to be curious about what your um, guest is talking about. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I mean, you, you have to, um, what's the word? Ryan, hold on. Wait for it. What's the word? You have to prepare for that. No, that's not the word. No, that, 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 no, no, that's curious. not. What were you, sorry, curious. what were you saying? Sorry. Curious, yes. Yeah, curious is the word you're looking for. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, can we get Brian Stelter on the podcast? That would make my day. Like, after dismantling that man, I would retire. Like that, I'll, I'll take him, I'll take Don, I'll take Hannity. I'll take them all, all the big names at one time. I'll take them all. Oh man, the, there's that, a reason uh, they don't do interviews, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the reason they're on one side of the camera, not the other, or one side of the the desk, not the other, for sure, for sure. So here's a question for you: Is Bill Maher going to become the voice of reason in America? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> oh Lord. 
if that if that's if that's not an indicator for the walls just you know just falling apart um yeah mm -mm. um do you think he is i think he's finding himself in an interesting spot you know here so you have if you just take two labels conservative and progressive both labels have fundamental problems with what they are which is progressive there is no end to where you're going and conservative you're not exactly sure to what end you're conserving right so neither neither <sighs> i mean i'm right neither yeah, end. No, yeah. Yeah. and so if you consider yourself a progressive there will come a day you're like whoa that's that's too far that's too far and if you're conservative you're like well we were conserving this and now we're not so what happened there um so I think both of those groups, and you've seen the conservative movement shift over the you know, past decade for sure, the progressives as well. So I think Bill Barr, a lifelong Democrat, um, I think he's kind of struggling with, you know, where does he fit in now? Because the far reaches of the left are way crazier than, than he wants to, to be. Um, and the right actually has more home for him now, it seems. And so he's kind of... It's weird just kind of hearing some of his recent comments, and um, it, it it's good because you kind of have someone on the left kind of balancing out what they're saying. But um, I don't know. It's just weird that you know when when he's being shared by right wing pundits, you know that the left is <laughs> like really out to pasture. I don't know if this is uh, is pertinent, but uh, I heard recently that apparently people have started to talk about Candace Owens being one of the more moderate right wing voices in the room. And I thought that was an absurd take. Do you, do you have you do you follow her work? N not until she flares up for something big. So all I know of is like the random controversies, and I don't really follow those very closely. So, um, I, but but that but to see that's a great example. And this is you know I used to be conservative, now I'm a libertarian. Air quotes for being there. Um, Thank you. But. Um, I used to be conservative, and I'm not anymore because I don't think the conservatives actually know what they're trying to conserve. Well, well, no, but I mean, so what is when when you hear someone say, you know, in 2021, I'm a conservative. What does that even mean? That's what I'm saying. I don't know what it means anymore. It doesn't mean anything. But but but, but if you're a progressive, what is that? What does that mean? Like the, the we throw we've like. I find it so interesting that we live in a world where like most of the people that sort of seem to control public discourse and, and um, conversation are very adamant that we, you know, shouldn't be using labels and most labels are like racist or demeaning or like, you know, any of these like things. But then like, you know, if you say something negative against Biden, you're automatically a Republican. If you say something yeah. negative against Trump, you're automatically a Democrat. Like we're all about labels. And so like, I don't understand and then, like again, if you go if you go to the labels, like what are they even like what are they even talking about? So if somebody calls you like a Republican, I don't even know what that means anymore. Yeah, no, I, I mean, don't. Either. Either. And so this goes back to, um, I mean, at least the Bush years, the the uh, W forty three Bush years, um, but maybe even further. You know. If you look at the conservative, the Republican Party and the conservatives, you know, there was always this debate over a rhino. You know, who's a rhino? Well, listen, by historic conservative standards, Trump is basically a rhino. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes. You know, and so if you're a conservative and you want to vote for Trump, that's fine. But but don't 
make fun of the rhinos because you've you're openly endorsing a, a rhino like now he did some conservative things i'm not arguing that gets that but I, so to your point it's like well conservatives what are you trying to conserve um and you know when, when ryan gordowski came on the podcast you know and he his point was essentially that you should vote for who whomever you think will wield the power in your way so He's saying that the left is going to wield power and they're going to break boundaries. It doesn't matter. So if you get your person in, uh, if Trump's breaking the law or pushing presidential precedent or whatever, then go ahead and vote for him. And I get why he says that. It's just that that's why we're in the problem we are today. So if we never stop the cycle, it eventually ends far worse than any of us want to imagine. Um, and so I, I don't. So it's like, well, what? and then at the same time, and this is Gurdowski's word. I'm not making fun of him. I mean, he argues quite uh, vehemently that Kushner, a progressive Democrat, was running the White House. That's what he mm-hmm. says. Right. Kushner was, so it's like, so you're voting. So he gets mad at me for not voting for Trump. Oh, by the way, he's telling me that a progressive Democrat is running the White House. What sense does that make? I mean, like, I don't buy that for many like of the policy decisions or any of like the rhetoric coming from the White House at the time. But I mean, I've heard that too. But like, based on everything that you saw from the White House, like, I don't, I don't understand that. Narrative thread, do you? Okay. I think Grodowski believes it. He seems to run in the circles to know. No, but I'm saying, like, of sense of, like what action can, what, what time frame was he talking about? Like, the entirety of the presidency? And if so, like, that's a crock of something. Because, I mean, if you look at what the White House said, did, etc., like, none of it was progressive. I mean, right? Yeah, do listen. Go listen to the podcast. Come on, man. Come on, go listen to the podcast. Killing me. No. Does he? Act, does he actually make some good points? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. He's on my show. All my guests do. All my guests do. Well, other but, than this one. Well, to the, up to the, up to this point, they have. But anyways, um, you said you're supposed to be nice. You're making great points. You're making great. Thank, points. thank you. Thank but you. anyways, Gerdowski, <laughs> listen. Here's what I would say. Gerdowski's an insider. I believe he should know if he's saying it and he's chastising me for voting for Trump. Then it's it's a weird argument for him to make, which is you should have voted for this guy because he's the best guy. And then he undermines his own candidate by his own candidate's incompetency. Like, it's just a weird, it's just a weird take, you know, like it's just so I mean, he could be wrong, but I think he believes it. Otherwise, he's going against what he told me. Like, like, like going against the whole "you should have voted for Trump" narrative. Like, right, right. So, I think he believes it, if nothing else. Okay, go listen to the podcast. You go listen to the podcast. I listen. Uh, well, I was there. What? No, no, I'm telling the guests that are listening oh. to this. I'm, I'm telling. You I'm telling. I'm telling the thousand. I'm telling the thousands of listeners to. Go listen, go download it. It's it's Bin, three. Bin it's three Bin before this one. Ben won't do it. It's episode three five. Episode forty five. This is fifty one. I think so. It's episode forty five. Fifty one. That's aggressive. Fifty one. Uh, when did you start counting? Because you've. I mean, this is like podcast seven thousand and twelve for you, like lifetime. Knocking on like six hundred. I think. Knock it on close to six hundred. Are you gonna put? You should put like together like a discography of, of all of them. That's a big word. That's aggressive. I don't know what that means. But um, 
<laughs> Back to Bill Maher, like where we got, and you get me on Trump. <laughs> I mean, I know you watch his show weekly, so that's why I was asking you, you know, do you think he's the voice of reason? No, it's actually, it's interesting you say that because I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think that I've ever watched any of Bill Maher's show. I've certainly seen it like in clips on YouTube or Twitter, like whatever, but I don't think I've ever tuned into the show. About Have a you? Decade, oh, yeah. About, about, uh, whew, I said a decade ago. I realized it's been at least 16, 17 years, maybe. So almost two decades ago now. <laughs> Sorry, that got, that got aggressive pretty fast. Um, when I was working out of town, you'd have HBO on the hotel TV, right? Mm -hmm. I would watch him on there. That was my first exposure to him. And you'd watch his stuff and you'd say, okay, so this has been during the Bush years. Some of the stuff he says is good. Some of the stuff he says is crazy. And I hate comedians talking politics. We can talk about that, talk about that in a second. But um, And so I thought, yeah, a lot of stuff he says is stupid, but he does make some good points from time to time. And so I haven't watched him since then because – I don't have HBO, so I'll see him on YouTube and clips, like you're saying. So I don't watch him consistently. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a. I mean, I'm curious your thoughts about this. I do have a problem with comedians talking politics because it feels like when they get pinned down, they go to jokes. Like they don't really answer. Like when Bill Maher gets pinned down, he just kind of makes a joke. It's like, well, hold on. Right. That's, yeah. Like I, I can't stand that. It drives me crazy. Hey, what do you What do you expect? Expect him to answer the question or to take the L. Based on based on what set of evidence? No, no, no. Yeah, there's no evidence. I said what I, what I what's what I expect, what I hope for, what I dream for. Well, yeah, yeah. we we can all have dreams, Ryan. <laughs> Let me dream, Ben. Let me dream. Why why are you the way that you are? I'm just like, I feel like I'm the only person who, I'm not the only person. I feel like I'm one of the few people who gets annoyed by the by the by the comedians because I, I like comedians. They're fine. But when they start talking politics and they get pinned down, they just make a joke. Everyone laughs, and you're like, "Actually, the comedian just got dunked on." But because he made everyone laugh, we feel like. Have you he, ever noticed that? I mean, this is sort of what you're saying, but sort of not. You ever noticed that comedians can say things that are just like patently not funny at all, not even like during a set. Just like a comedian will say something in an interview, or whatever that's not funny at all, and like they get like you know ruckus laughter, like. It's it's sort of the conditioning of the of the interaction as opposed to the actual like delivery of the content or the content itself, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you're expecting them to be funny. So, like you're saying, you're kind of conditioned. You're expecting them to to make a joke or. Um, and the other thing is, you know, public pressure, man. You're in a crowd and someone starts laughing and you don't laugh. You feel awkward, even if you don't get the joke, right? Right. Yeah. So, I think it's part of it. No, yeah, it's, it's very much that, like, group thing. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing if you're, like, sitting at a comedy club and you're at a set and the comedian says something that you don't think is funny at all, but, like, the entire room is, is dying laughing. Like, you're probably going to start laughing. I mean, it's the same, you know. Uh, confession, I've never been to a comedy club. You what? Who what? What? I've never been to one. I, I, I've attended a comedy show on a cruise one time, and it was, yeah, it was okay. I've never been to a comedy, comedy Good comedy shows. I mean, I've been to a number in Vegas. And, uh, you know, good comedy shows are, are fantastic. We should we should go to an open mic comedy night and like each do a set. Bomb. We both bomb. Well, coming obviously. Oh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't feel like that needed to be said. <laughs> for for the listeners, just to be clear. 
<laughs> don't don't show up, please. Don't show up. <laughs> no, no. Well, no. If you want to, like, you know, make a video of it to like put on YouTube, you know, make hey, fun of us. Kyle Susan did an open night, open mic night one time. Did he? Yeah. Did you go? No. No, I just it was, he lives in Houston. I don't live in Houston. I just saw him post it on somewhere. I don't. I mean, if if it was in Dallas, you you know, like that's that would have been too far. That's, that's too far, right? If it'd been next door, it'd probably been too far. But whatever. Um, Ouch. Kyle, he didn't. Kyle, he didn't mean that. See, you were supposed that. to play into the joke there, and you didn't. You just left me hanging. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about Kyle at all. It was just about me in general. But whatever. Thank you. For I know. That. I know you I know. know. No one else. Does. I know. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just to be clear, when I came to Houston last time, I hung out with Kyle instead of you, just so we're on the same page. Oh no, I, no, that's why I'm not helping you. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fully aware. <laughs> Open mic at a comedy club. So how many minutes are you going to go for? Three? Uh, I think, yeah, I think they're like two, three-minute sets, something like that. God, that's a long time. It is. It is. You know, actually would be entertaining, like, if – I bet – so, like, you you or I individually would – that would be a train wreck, I'm sure. But I bet you and I could come up with something entertaining for a couple of minutes. Just yeah, like yeah. A, some sort of routine. Dunking on me, like, with – Cow. Well, I mean, like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, you know, lean into your strengths, right? <laughs> okay, so we've got two challenges to our that we got to. What's the first one again? We've thrown out a bunch, but you Chick Fil A, Chick-fil-A. yeah. And then the you threw you threatened to beat me in a bit, uh, like a sales contest too. I mean, like we've thrown out a bunch, but you haven't stepped to the table once yet, so that requires work. I uh, thank thank you. <laughs> Regards were a lot of work. Which one are we doing first? Well, the comedy club required me to leave the house, so that's going to be pretty low on the list. Right. I mean, so. does do you have a Chick Fil A at your house? No, but there's one in Granbury. I'd, I'd be willing to go to there, that. Wait, there's a Chick Fil A in Granbury? Yes, yes, yes. We're not in the boonies. Well, that's that's. That's that's that's, that's not true. Um, <laughs> Crosby okay. knows knows us, so don't don't be hating. That's fair. That's yeah. No, he said something about y'all being bougie or something. Um, I wasn't listening, but sure. He's like, he's yeah, I love, the, I, I love the lake. Yada yada yada. No. Yeah, he's just something about a nice lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. All right. So you want to talk about the Red Sox? Let's, let's What's happening? The, the Red Sox. Listen, like we're recording this September one. I don't even really want to talk about the Red Sox. If we had recorded this like July one, when I was excited about them and I was talking about them, but you didn't want to. You you were you were the Debbie Downer for like the first four months of the season. What was that about? Because going into this season, I thought they have no shot. I told you they had no shot. I said fifty wins would be a great year. I think is what I said. Right? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if I remember right, we, we can uh, play back the tape. But I think I came in at seventy six. I think is the number I chose. Yeah, so they're at seventy five right now. So they might. I don't know if they're gonna get to seventy six. <laughs> that wow, wow. <laughs> I don't. That's know if aggressive. <laughs> Are they coming to Dallas or Houston for the rest of the year? Uh, I don't know. Oh, let's see here. So they are. There are ten games behind the Rays. Two behind the stanks. They lost their last three and they're 500 in their last 10. The, the Rays have been playing some good ball. 
but, but let's talk about this because this bugs me. I didn't want to get my hopes up because they weren't a good team. And you kept pressuring me and pressuring me. And I got my hopes up. Why? Well, when you say it like that, that was pretty stupid. I don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, have you join in the revelry of them doing well. But now that they're not doing well, like, I mean, I, you know, I care less. Does that make me a bad fan? No, that actually makes you a logical fan. Well, so okay, so I don't think I've ever been I don't think I've ever been called logical before, but I'll I mean I'll take it. I mean, we I don't, I don't know if we talk about this or not. Like I think all fans, I think the fans who are the diehards who go to everything when the team's terrible, I think those people are like missing the point. <laughs> what what you what you're only supposed to be a fan when they're doing well? Okay. Oh well well, depends on the term fan. So if you listen, if you want to go to every game and your team's 0-16, whatever, I'm not mad at you. But what I'm saying is if you want the team to get better, you don't go to the games. Like that's that's the thing. Oh, oh that's the thing. If you speak with your dollars, I like it. I yeah. like it. And so, you know, when the the Red Sox are doing good, I'll follow along and I'll watch. If they're not, I tune out. I don't I mean, I don't need to watch them get drummed by the Rays every night. <laughs> I don't Ooh. I don't who was it this week? I'm trying to pull it up. I don't remember. There was some baseball player this week that he hit a home run um, in a, and I think it was in a win. And as he was like crossing home plate, he gave the crowd like two thumbs down because a couple of nights before they had, I think they had blown a lead in the ninth, and the uh, the fans were booing like crazy. And after the game, he said something to the effect of, you know, if the fans are booing us when we're not doing well, then we're gonna boo them when we are. And I thought that that was like one of the stupider things that I've heard an athlete say in a really long time. I forget what it was. Let me see. Okay, I'll, I'll circle back around to that. But my, my, my larger point is just the teams that I follow, I care about them when they're doing good. When they're not doing good, it's not that I don't care. I just can't invest the time. Like if, if take the Saints. So let's say the Saints start off 0-5 this year. Well, I'm not going to waste my Sunday afternoons trying to hunt down the Saints playing – when they're not going to make the playoffs, like it doesn't. Why? Right. Going to make the playoffs? I just I can watch other teams play or not watch it at all or, or whatever. Now, if it's on, I have nothing to do. Then I'll you know maybe I turn it on. But I don't. I'm not going to go out of my way to do something. Now, the rare occasion would be is if the Saints come play the Cowboys, um, and we could go because the Saints don't come to town very often. You know, I might go do that even if they're a bad team because that's a chance to go see them. Um, and I do the same for the Red Sox. But the devotion to watch it day in day out. Um, follow them, all that stuff. If they're not doing any good, I just what's it? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're they're gonna they're gonna. I'm not a Red Sox. I'm not a Red Sox reporter. I'm not a historian. You know, and so that's that's my take. As far as the the player thing, I think. But so you know, I was before you launch into it. So it was Javi Baez, um, who's on the Mets. Oh, yeah. They uh, they, they were playing what? It's Javi Baez. So come on. I didn't say I, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, he's on the Mets. Uh, they were playing well. They've uh, recently been on a nine and twenty skid in their last twenty nine, going from first place in the NL East to uh, third. Uh, and here's the quote: nine and twenty. So, just to be clear, nine and twenty in their last twenty nine. That's correct. Um, and so he hit a home run in a, in a nine four win. And as, like I said, as he's crossing the plate, he gives like a two thumbs down. The quote is, 
after the game, he says, we're not machines. We're going to struggle seven times out of ten. It just feels bad when I strike out and get booed. It doesn't really get to me, but I want to let them know that when we're successful, we're going to do the same thing to let them know how it feels. If we win together, then we got to lose together, and the fans are a really big part of it. In my case, they got to be better. I play for the fans, and I love the fans, but if they're going to do that, they're just putting more pressure on the team, and that's not what we want. Like, like, actually, I, I will, I'm going to reserve comment. Ryan, what are your thoughts? How long we got? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think the modern athlete has to understand. Javi Baez is not a... He's not a superstar, but he's a, a known name commodity, right? He's I won't say he's a superstar, but he's a he's a name commodity. He's a name. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So okay. So if he so when so if you're a name to, to superstar, I think you have to kind of fall into a, a couple of camps and then live that role. So if you go back to like Chael Sonnen, his whole deal was he was the bad guy. So he played that whole gimmick on the bad guy. When he's on, he's on brand. You know, he's being interviewed mm-hmm. on brand. He's always the bad guy. You know, like that's his deal. Okay, that's fine. That's his deal. He's the bad guy. Um, and if you are a naturally rude person, then that's probably the, the role for you. Chill, I think is a pretty, pretty good dude. But anyways, um, then you have kind of the Derek Jeter model, which is you never say anything. You know, you're like it's empty platitudes galore. Um, I, I think if you want to be the the athlete who's real and raw, you have to be careful how that comes across because, you know, our, how much time is Javi Baez thanking the fans when they win? Mm-hmm. Right, right. How is, so, so when they hit a, when he hits a walk off home run, by his quote, there is he going to sit around and just sign autographs all night because they helped him win? Right, and so. I think mm-hmm. if you want to be real, raw, real and raw, that's, that's fine. But understand that that comes with the, the pushback, the pros, the cons, and I, I, you know. So, I, I, I'm glad they say stuff like this because I think this gives us content to talk about <laughs> more than anything. But um, well, I mean, it's just surprising to hear you say that because I mean, I know that your like favorite athlete of all time is LeBron James. That was uncalled for. That was uncalled. That was that. Was, that was too far. I apologize for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I got a question for you about LeBron. I heard that this morning. Um, they talk like, "What do you? Who do you think LeBron is? Like, if you got to meet him, who do you think he is? Like, in what context? Like, how close to the image is he? So like take, take Tiger Woods, right? Tiger Woods was buttoned up, polished up. He gets, you know, has to meet pills, gets in a wreck, and then his whole world unravels, right? Okay. Yeah. He's yes. been pretty much scandal free until that moment in time. LeBron's yes. been scandal free as far as you know anything of like that. Um, he got a speeding ticket, I think, one time. So he's been scandal free. Right. Do you, do you buy that image or do you think that is him just a great job of managing his career? So it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think that I'm a firm believer that, I mean, the powers that be, you know, the TMZ sort of ethos and, and that sort of ecosystem in the world, um, you know, if if you are doing some things with impropriety, I think that, that you know, he's arguably one of the largest tar- targets for, you know, let's tear this guy down. Let's find something to pin on him. And it's actually interesting you say that because I was just reading an article yesterday about talking about that he has, 
you know, because keep in mind that he, you know, he didn't come out of college. I mean, he came out straight out of high school. And and he, and even as a high school athlete, he was a superstar. And and so, and and to have that amount of attention throughout the entirety of the career and, you know, and really never have a blip on the radar is, it's something that I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for. And yeah, no, I, I do think that that's, I'm of the opinion that I think that's got to be close to on brand and, and who he really is. Because if it wasn't, I, I just I think that you, we'd find out, we'd know already. Because there's so many people in the national media and across the country that despise that man. It's not like he's the golden child, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like both sides are sort of incentivized to keep him clean. He's got a lot of enemies, and so if he had some stuff in you know in the closet, in some skeletons, I, I think they'd be I think they'd be drug out by now. I don't know. And it's not a, I mean, it's just, I, I've been around so many athletes um, and you read so many stories of athletes um, that, that, you know, the athletes that fall from grace, there's just so many stories. Um, and, to, and I think I saw maybe the, the same thing or something similar that you did talking about LeBron. First off, let me say the most impressive thing is not what you said. And, few people comment on this is the fact he got 90 million dollars at 18 years old and was still able to go play basketball at a high level mm-hmm. if you gave me 90 million at 18 years old or whatever it was 90 100 million i would have been done that would have been it i would just take the money i'd have played out the shoe contract and retired like and i'm not i'm just being serious so i the, mm-hmm. the respect from that level his competitive nature is unbelievable what yeah no i was just gonna say so this is this is going in a little bit of a different direction but i have always been incredibly kind of in awe of that dynamic where, you know, these athletes, you get a, you know, $100 million, $200 million payday. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so so let's talk about basketball for a second because, you know, we're talking about LeBron. Sure. You know, now these Supermax contracts, I mean, you, you know, the superstars are making, call you make the math easy, they're making $40 million a year, okay? And you sign a four or five-year contract, that's five years of your life. You know, so let's say that you're a 23-year-old kid, you get a five-year Supermax contract, you're going to you're gonna leave that contract at 28 Let's not let's ignore the fact that you already had a rookie contract, most likely, right? So this is your first major deal. So now you've got two hundred million dollars, probably not in the bank, but you, you've earned two hundred million in five years. It's guaranteed, right? Right. Again. So, 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 so now, so now you're on the outside, you know, on the other side of that contract. You, you've earned the money. I find it fascinating that there's not more athletes that say, "All right, cool, I'm going to go." Start a you know start another company, do something else, make my money work for me, and just like sign off and and I'm out of here. As opposed to to your point, I mean, even I mean, there's a lot of the the NBA superstars that they'll never have to work a day in their life again. Their children, their kids, right. their grandchildren, like never. But but they they get in the gym at six a.m. every day. And like it's truly for the love of the game. And I think that's something that gets lost in, in translation some because these athletes, because they make so much money, they're looked at as very spoiled and then all these things and they're very entitled. But at the end of the day, to play in the NBA, to play in the NFL and play the game, you have to be at the top of your game. If, you know, if you're going to stay at that level at like Le- LeBron or KD or Russell, I mean, you you got to grind. And, and that's not so, – like I understand that someone like LeBron doesn't need to do nearly the amount of work that like a Jeremy Lin does in order to be at his best because LeBron is such an elite athlete. But it is – it's it's truly remarkable that these guys have the amount of commitment that they do to the sport given the amount of – to your point, to the wealth. I mean because you know, I, I wouldn't – like you know, in that scenario, if I was that athlete, um, you know, I, I would – I can tell you with – 
certainty that I'd play out the first major contract and and, and be done, do something else. You know, because you know it's fascinating to me if these guys play twenty year careers in the current NBA. You know, when you're like Larry Bird, you weren't making anything, right? And so you had to play out a long career. But these days, it, yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd have done exactly what you said. I'd have played out the first contract. I probably would have been borderline terrible. <laughs> you know, and if someone had offered me a second contract, maybe I'd taken that. But you know, you talking about walking away with. You know, his shoe contract was like a 90 or 100 million dollars. So, his mm-hmm. whatever his rookie deal was. So, you have, let's say, after taxes, 50 million in the bank. 50 million. You don't ever have to do what you do what you want to do for the rest of your life. And so, the scandal stuff, I don't know about. I just know there's so many athletes. And, and it's not just, this isn't a racial thing. This isn't an athlete thing. This is a celebrity thing. So many celebrities that you just find out at some point that there was so much orchestration going on. I'm kind of always skeptical of that. I think the thing that I could talk about, though, is just the fact that at 18, you're given that kind of money. Listen, I know people who get their sales bonus check, and they quit working for six months. <laughs> Not quit working, but they quit putting the reps in, right? right. They, they, they quit making the calls because they got a $10,000 bonus check. It's like, that's nothing. That's nothing. This right. guy got $100 million. Uh, I, I thought you wanted to say something. Go ahead. No, oh no! I was just to say no. I, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's what was, what was I going to say? Um, is, yeah, I mean, is it, 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 real quick, it's not it's not the same as Rogan getting hundred million. Rogan getting hundred million to come and talk to people—that's easy money. <laughs> that's easy money, <laughs> right? Right. That's easy money. Rogan just has to be good at talking to people, and he gets hundred million. I'm not saying what he does is easy. He's very talented. He makes it look easy. But just keep doing that. He doesn't have to go play 82 games or 162 games, travel, work out, um, take a toll on his body. He goes to the studio. So, it, so uh, listen, Rogan's fantastic. I'm not trying to mock his work. I'm just saying it's not the same $100 million we're talking about. Right. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess it, uh, what, I was gonna, what I was thinking about before is that it kind of goes to – you know, really, what is the the driver? And I wonder, I just wonder at times how heavily weighted, like the so the ultra superstars, like the KDs of the world. I'm not talking about the middling guys, right? But like at that level, how much of them playing is actually pure ego driven, as opposed to a lot like financial driven? I wonder if it's or, or you know, is it at that point? Is it Hey, I'm playing because I'm close to the record books, and I want to, you know, I want to pad the records. I mean, because it can't. I just, I find it unfathomable to a degree that these, you know, nearly billionaires would be grinding out for the paycheck. I mean, it can't be about the money, right? No, I, don't, I don't think it's about the money. Okay, well, the, it's hard for us to measure how much they're making off the court. So they might be making buku dollars off the court that we're not even counting. But and that might incentivize them some. Um, they probably it's probably easy for them, easy in the sense of you know it's you know like something you're good at. It's easier for you to do. But the other thing is, I always tell people this: if you haven't watched Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame acceptance speech, go watch it. That is a dude who gets up there for whatever it is, twenty minutes, and just destroys people, destroys mm-hmm. them. And he's in the hall. He's getting his Hall of Fame induction, and he's going back to his high school basketball team. They think they have a different drive, a different mentality, a different ego, a different persona. They're just different creatures um, than, than you and I are, and and that's and that's what makes them who they are, and that's why they're so fascinating. That's why the 
all the things about them is, you know, think about Tiger. We talk about Tiger for a second. Think about Tiger, just the dedication that dude had coming up from a young age, trying to be the best golfer in the world. I mean, he was locked in there for a long portion of his life, just mm-hmm. like almost robotic, it seemed, just just kind of how he was. And so, um, yeah, I think they're just different creatures. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Um, I don't know why I, I thought of it when you were talking, but uh, put up an article here that's talking about um, the uh, Shaquille O'Neal's like business interests and his his empire. I think he's a fa- he's a fascinating story from a number of different angles. For those that, that aren't familiar, and I actually just recently learned this story, and I don't I don't know the years, so don't quote me on this. But uh, so Shaq, when he came in the league, he was under a Reebok shoe deal. And, and he played for it for a number of years. And then apparently there is this game and this woman um, was yelling at him as he's coming off the court after the game and said something like, you need to make shoes that are, uh, that are, um, that are more affordable or something like that. And he kind of stopped and looked at the woman and uh, was like, you know, you're robbing me. And she said like, you're robbing these kids blind or something like that. Um, he took out like a, uh, a lot of money apparently that he had in his bag or whatever and handed it to him. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, here, here you go. Um, I remember the exact exchange or something to, to that degree. Um, you know, she, she threw the money back at him. was like, nah, that's bull, you know, whatever. He went back you know, in the locker room. Apparently the very next day called Re- uh, Reebok, killed his, uh, his uh, sponsorship deal and said, listen, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Keep the money. You, uh, we just need to be done went to Walmart and said, hey, we need to work out a shoe deal. He worked out a shoe deal with Walmart at uh, like a $26 price point, and that empire has made over $400 million in shoes wow. since, since since whenever it was put together. Um, he also owns – what does this article say? He owns 155 Five Guys franchises, 17 uh, Auntie Anne's, 150 car washes. I'm sure there's tons and tons more. I think I read once that he's still – go ahead. I'll say, and all of this commercials he does, he gets equity stakes in the businesses. Oh, yeah. Like when he does the general and stuff like that, he is an equity partner in those. So there's no telling. So anytime you see commercial, that's him. He owns part of that business. <laughs> and he, I mean, he, he owns a number of, um, what was it? Papa John's. Um, th- I think he, I think he did that for Robin Hood. So I think he probably, I'm sure he owns a part of Robin Hood now. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, I guess the reason I bring that up is because I was thinking about sort of, you know, on one side you have the shacks who, who made an absolute empire. And on the other side, you've got a lot of stories of like the Antoine walkers of the world mm. who earned, you know, over a hundred million dollars in his career. And I think retired broke, which, which I yeah. find, incredibly i mean just incredibly sad that you know i mean so so that's actually something i've I've been talking to to another partner on something else offline about is you know uh, what it would look like to sort of um be stand up an organization that was really focused on financial literacy for athletes because a lot of these athletes i mean they come from unfortunately a lot of them especially in basketball come from relatively uh you know uh, poor backgrounds and and upbringings and to, to your point you know for for the so for, for LeBron to get 80 or 100 million on a shoe deal at 18 years old, um, see, you know he he seemed to have have come up with, with um, you know in at least a stable family and, and didn't have some of the background that some of these others. I can see some of you know some of those guys having just no idea what to do with that amount of wealth. I wouldn't um, know what to do with it at 18, and I came from a pretty up and decent family. You know, it's like right. it's, it's it's okay. When we say know what to do with it, it's it's know what to do with it wisely. 
the, the thing right. is, you know, you'd go out and buy 15 houses, 100 cars, mm -hmm. uh, and then Uncle Sam starts hitting you for taxes. You're like, oh, wait, <laughs> what, what, what happened now? No, I think the financial literacy thing um, uh, for athletes, it, part of it is there's so many people, and you see this in the fight game, there's, there's such a big pie at the top. And if you can just get a part of that big pie, you and your family is set. So there's so many, uh, uh, Dana White calls them Klingons. You know, so many people that are just clinging on, trying to get their snippet of that pie. And I think it makes it a lot of pressure on athletes. And so, um, and so then they turn their money over to someone else. And that someone else turns out to be not trustworthy. And then it's, and the other thing real, real quick is they're all accredited investors, which means they actually have opportunities that most people don't have. And they probably don't realize, a lot of them probably aren't, aren't pitched on those things. I mean, think about it. You know, all the NBA, NFL players, uh, hockey players, baseball players are all accredited investors, which means that all these PE groups and all these um, funds and stuff, they have opportunities to invest to make great returns that, that the average guy can't. And so um, bridging that gap is what needs to happen, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know why that uh, that uh, just kind of pinged me as you were talking there. Um, I thought, you know, it's interesting that so in basketball – um, and I don't know, I don't have it up, so I don't, I don't know the league minimum, but I think it's, you know, about a million dollars. Um, and then you have the Supermax contracts that are, you know, so they're earning $40 million. And so, you, you know, you likely have guys on the court at one time that, you know, one guy's earning a million dollars, the next guy, you know, standing next to him is making $40 million. Um, But, you know, if you're making a million dollars, that's still a very good living. You shouldn't be complaining. You know, that's, that's plenty of money, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at, like, the MMA, the top guys make piles of money. You know, those guys, are, you know, the, um, the so actually you, you, you're going to know better. What is, what did, uh, you know, what does Connor make in a, not after gate, but like as just an appearance, what does he make for being in an MMA fight or, you know, Derek Lewis? And what, yeah, what do these guys, guys pull down? Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are going to make between a quarter, depends on who they are. Let's say a hundred thousand to a million dollars. Some, 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 that kind of range in there. So, so talking about the ones that are kind of at the top end of the range. So, like, let's say that you have somebody that's earning, so like a Dustin, uh, you know, a Dustin uh, Poirier who's earning closer to like seven hundred, eight hundred thousand, something like that. You, know, you have undercard fighters at these same events that are making like twenty k, ten k, twelve k, and like, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, I can't, I can't fathom having a job where my job is to show up on game day and just absolutely get pummeled. And I have to spend months and months and months of painful, like mm -hmm. prep work and, and training to get there. And the payoff is 10 K a fight. I mean, is there any conversation in, in MMA about sort of equalizing or recalibrating the pay scale or is that just, no, there is, but it's all, it's all, <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> <clears throat> we don't have time to get MMA pay, pay stuff. We can do a whole episode on this. I think the so to your point, I, let's just talk about regional MMA first. Regional MMA, no one cares about. Literally, no one. Okay, I don't even know what that means. What what is like if we talk put on a like if we put on a show out at Midland, you know, at the the Midland, uh, there's probably some group out there in Midland that puts on shows, right? No okay. one cares about it except for um, the people who know people fighting, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and if, if you go back and listen to my episode with Ed Lattimore, professional boxer, we talked about this some. Um, no one cares. And so, you know, if Ben Samuels is fighting, maybe Ben sells 100 tickets. Maybe. Maybe he sells 100 tickets. <clears throat> okay. 
Um, and so that's that's Ben's really popular. He's gonna sell 100 tickets. So Ben Samuels is the best fighter out in Midland. He might sell 100 tickets. He's so good though. The UFC goes, this guy might have something. We're gonna call him up. Now they bring him to the UFC. Now he's not fighting in Midland. Now he's fighting in, oh, let's say they're gonna put him on a card in New York. Is Ben gonna sell 100 tickets? No, he might sell five or ten. Mm-hmm. He's getting paid ten grand. He brings no value. No one's watching him. No one cares. No one's showing up to see Ben Samuels, but 10 people. He get paid 10 G's. Now, from that perspective, Ben Samuels just got the deal of his life. From Europe, the perspective that you laid out, he's getting shafted. And I think that's the conversation that has to be had, is that the fighters don't, listen, and I'm not trying to be rude, they just don't bring the value that they think. The UFC is the value. Connor's the value. John Jones is the value. Now, if we talk about those guys getting underpaid, that's a discussion to have. But the guy getting paid 10 and 10 or 20 and 20, they just don't bring the value, unfortunately. If they did, they'd get paid more. I'll give you a couple examples. CM Punk came over from wrestling to MMA. I don't remember what he got paid, but it was a lot more than 10 and 10 because he brought value. Brock Lesnar, he brought value. Value is eyeballs, tickets, pay-per-views, things like that. So an up-and-coming fighter, they just don't have much value because if you replace Ben Samuels with Ryan Ray on the fourth fight of the night out of 15, no one cares. And that's, I think that's the, yeah, no, all great points. But I think the counter argument to that to a degree is okay, so let's say let's make the math easy. Let's say that uh Connor's on the card, he's on the main card, and he's you know, he's gonna earn a million dollars. Okay. Um, and if he wins, he earns a half million dollar fight bonus. Okay. Sure. The guy on the bottom card, you know, um, he's gonna make 10k for showing up and another 5k it'd be 10 and 10 10 10 10 10 all right another 10 another 10 if he wins you know if if connor makes 950 and 450 okay like it's 100 it's 100k less but 9k 950 and 450 is still 1.4 for the you know for the night that that that's a good payday you know the difference between 1.4 and 1.5 is sure substantive but negligible if you take that 100K and you allocate that down to, let's say you allocate that down to the, the bottom two fights, and so there's there's 50K per fight, you've now more than, you've, you've what, two and a half X the purse on both those fights. And so now, I mean, and if you were to do that. Value, though. No one cares. That's my point. That, that, but, but if, I think the point that I'm trying to make is, because I don't disagree with that, but but the I think the other side of that is if you if the structure were allocated or if the if the system were allocating more of the money to the bottom, those fighters might have a better shot at at being in a better camp with a better trainer and and climbing the ranks because they have better resources and they would start to attract eyeballs because because of the trajectory as opposed to you know having to rely on sponsors to eat or you know right and so I, I, I'm not saying that it that it's to your point, it's not a dollars for dollars makes sense move, but if you're looking to improve the ecosystem of the sport as a collective, I strongly believe it would. Okay, we got to wrap up here. There's a lot to be said, but um, a couple things. One, you talk about making money and not being incentivized. Fighting is one of the businesses where you make money, you're very less incentivized, right? Because you're actually getting, you know, LeBron's going and dunking on fools. They're not slapping him in the face and trying to break his neck, okay? Like, it's, it's a completely different sport. And so when you start making that top dollar, it is hard to be incentivized. Go look at Conor McGregor's fights over the past couple of years. He doesn't fight very often. He's got a ton of money. So there, there's that one side to consider. The other thing is, um, 
Connor would have to take less money in that scenario. So if Connor said, hey, I'm going to take 100 Gs less, spread out under the undercard, you know, I don't know what the UFC would say. I think they would go for that. But Connor doesn't want it. And so that's that's the thing is that, you know, because Connor was making five and five and 10 and 10. Mm-hmm. And so when you, you, you know, for the top perspective, you're sitting there. And if you're Connor, you're like, okay, you know, Ben, I know you're making 10 and 10, bro. I made that when I was coming up, but no one's here to see you. And and I think, and the, a couple of things about the UFC, particularly, the UFC has performance enhancing centers. So you can go train there if you're a UFC fighter. That's free access to all kinds of stuff that you don't get. Um, they have, they, they will, you know, and I deal with the bare knuckle guys, you, your ability to get sponsors, your ability to get your name out there by being on the UFC, you're getting a huge value by being on a UFC car because now everyone knows who you are potentially. If you, and then if you win, you can make 50 more K. So the upside, so the UFC perspective, I think is that you're getting access to this huge platform. Um, there's your upside. All you have to do is win. Now, uh, I don't know how all camps are. But I think most coaches charge a percentage of the fee. So if you're making 10 and 10 or 100 and 100, you know, it's that same 10 or 20 or 30% or whatever it is. So they're going to get paid a percentage mm-hmm. of, your, of your purse regardless. Um, and so for small, and, and if you watch like Greg Jackson or some of the top coaches, I don't, I'm trying to think of the right now. Anyways, you know, they'll be on the undercard with, you know, Bob that no one knows. And they'll be later mm-hmm. on with someone knows. So I think that kind of some of that you, you do see there's a more, um, um, just um, um, equity there. Okay. We, I got to go. I know you got to go. The Wide Drive podcast has just started. Is it a podcast yet? Is it on YouTube? Where can people find it? So we link to that in the, in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I'm not a pro at this. I'm not a talking head yet. So I'm going to try to do a promo of some of the things I've got going on. Wide Drive podcast is a podcast. Not yet, but the first episode will be released next week. Uh, also have Coffee and Liquidity that as of last week is a podcast now. We'll be uh, releasing the first episode this today is September 1st. We're releasing the first episode tomorrow, Thursday, September 2nd. So go ahead and check that out. Um, Ryan and I, you, you and I have the Don't Let the Facts every yeah. Thursday. And what else? Oh, I have a couple other shows in, in process, but those we can talk about on Don't Let the Facts next time. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming. Uh, you're letting me uh, come on. Uh, you know, you, you said that I asked to come on. I think I, I think you invited me. One of those. But either way, I think we I think we got through it. This was this was one of the more tame ones. Um, for for the most part, you were pretty nice, so I appreciate it. You are the guest, so I'll, I will give you that last word, listeners. With that, we'll be back next time. Uh, a couple of China podcasts next week coming up, or a week. I can't remember the schedule, but we we can have. So, talk to you then. <laughs>